Uh, so uh, last week we talked about politics. This week we're talking about politics. And last week we used Mark chapter 12. And Jesus uh, was asked if his people, the Jews, were to pay the head tax. And the head tax was to give the Roman government a denarius. And a denarius was just one coin. It was equivalent to about 18 cents. Uh, and they were to pay it once a year. And I've never had a problem paying an 18 cent tax. Uh, but the Jews had a huge problem with it because uh, on that coin was Caesar's face, his image. And on that coin was an inscription that said, Caesar, son of God, high priest. And that's why they didn't want to pay the tax. And Jesus didn't have the coin. He asked for one. He holds it up and he said, here's what you're to do. You are to give Caesar what is Caesar's. His image is on that. You should give it to him. And then he said, you're to give God what is God's. Well, you are made in God's image. And because you're made in God's image, you should give yourself to God. There's a higher allegiance there. And so we talked about last week that a lot of what, what politics can do for us is it makes us nearsighted. That we think politics is, is either it's going to save our world or it's going to ruin our world. And what the gospel really does, what Jesus really does is, if that's what you think, you find yourself on the extreme. Every time you go to vote, you more or less vote for the same party. What the gospel is going to do is going to moderate you. But what the gospel is going to do to you, what Jesus wants to do to you if you're a moderate, is that it might make you more extreme. Because you just don't waffle in the background and you realize that politics make policies and policies affect people and we're called to love our neighbor, to love people with all our mind, with all our strength, with all our soul. So if we're going to love people, we've got to care about politics. But the whole point is this, is that Jesus wants to move you off your spot. Whatever your spot is on the spectrum, Jesus wants to move you. Because he, after all, is king. So this week, we're going to talk about politics once again. Uh, we're going to do it by using the text that Marissa read just a few minutes ago. We're also going to look at another passage from Romans chapter 13. That's the one we'll read together. So Romans 13, we'll read verses 1 to 7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to do to good contact, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. The word of the Lord. So the outline of this text is pretty simple. In the first half of verse 1, we're given the command. We're given the imperative. Submit yourself to the governing authorities. 
And then in the second half of verse 1 through verse 4, those three and a half verses, we're given two reasons why we are to obey the command to submit to all governing authorities. The first one, the first reason is because God has appointed those governing authorities to those positions. The second one is because uh, with God's blessings, governing authorities can punish disobedience. That's the first four verses. Verse 5 summarizes the first four in one verse, and then verses 6 and 7, he gives an implication. How is this to work out? And he says, pay your taxes. And so when you think about the tenor of Romans 13, it fits right in with some other passages of Scripture. There is this deference to civic and government authorities throughout the Scriptures. And the list I'm about ready to give is not exhaustive, it's just a few taken from various places within the canon. The first one, Genesis 37 through 50. You see Joseph, and Joseph is a Jew. Joseph is a Jew who ends up in jail, and he's promoted out of jail into the civic government. And when he's in the civic government, he rises all the way to the position pretty much of vice president, not to the king of the Jews, but to the Egyptian pharaoh, the king of Egypt. How does he get there? It's because he pretty much obeys Romans 13 to a T. Then you have Esther. Esther is also in the Old Testament. She's a Jew. And she so pleased the king of Babylon that she becomes the queen. And she uses her position, of course, to save her people, if you know the story. But how did Esther become king? How, or queen? How did a Jew become a queen in a Babylonian country? Because she obeyed Romans 13 to a T. Then Jeremiah 25, Jeremiah 27, God calls evil King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. You know what God calls King Nebuchadnezzar? My servant. Then you get Jesus. And Jesus, of course, sought to extend his rule and reign, not just among his fellow Jews, but also among the Romans, there was a centurion, a Roman soldier who had a servant that he desperately wanted healed, and Jesus was glad to heal the centurion's servant. Then you've got Jesus. He's on trial before Pilate, and he recognizes Pilate's God-given political authority when he says this in John nineteen eleven. He says, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. So you hear all those stories, all those stories of submitting to governing authorities. All those instances where Romans 13 is obeyed. And how you felt about that reading of Romans 13, how you felt about all those instances may have a lot to do with how you see your political party faring at the moment. If your political party is faring quite well at the moment, you see Romans 13, you see it as just legitimizing your allegiance. (laughs) You see it as encouragement for others to get on board with your political platform because, after all, God is the one who's instituted the current administration. But maybe when you read Romans 13... It's uh, your political party's not in power, and you're looking for the exception to the rule. (laughs) That surely the imperative of Romans 13 doesn't apply across the board. Surely there are exceptions, and you're looking for them. Well, can I tell you there are some? 
The first one is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in October of 1940 was recruited by Germany. See, uh, Bonhoeffer was a German pastor. And he was recruited by Germany to, to be a military secret agent across the rest of Europe because he had these wide contacts across the rest of Europe. And if he could get to those contacts, that he could spread the good news about the Nazi regime, that they might not fear the Nazis. Well, Bonhoeffer saw what was behind that. And so with this free reign to move in and out of Germany as he pleased, uh, he was trafficking Jews who were in trouble out of Germany into other European countries. And with this kind of freedom, he's telling his contacts about how evil Hitler is and that they should be deeply suspicious of him. And he's also working with others who are against Hitler who are in Germany to have him assassinated. So did Bonhoeffer just forget about Romans 13? What are you to do with Daniel chapter 6? Daniel chapter 6, Daniel gets thrown in the lion's den because he prays to someone besides King Darius, the king of Babylon at the time. Or what about Acts chapter 5? Did Peter and John, did they disobey Romans 13? Peter and John, they're teaching about Jesus. And they're thrown into prison for teaching about Jesus. They get released from prison. They go right back to teaching about Jesus. They're arrested a second time, brought before the authorities. And the authorities say, why are you teaching about Jesus when you've been clearly instructed not to? And they give the famous line in Acts 5, verse 29, where it says, we obey God rather than man. Then you get Matthew 14. John the Baptist, he calls out Herod, governing authority calls him out for his adultery. And he ends up with his head on a platter. Then you got the one we heard earlier. Daniel chapter 3. You got King Nebuchadnezzar, the same one who's called my servant by God in Jeremiah 25 and 27. And in Daniel 3, he erects this huge golden statue of himself. And everyone's supposed to bow down to it. They're supposed to bow down to it when they hear all the music going on. There's a sea of people in front of the golden statue. The music's all played. Everybody bows down except three. And this whole scene of having these statues of the government figures that might remind you of Emperor Mao in China or Lenin in the Soviet Union. And you might say, gosh, Marsh, this incident about Daniel 3, it happened thousands of years ago in the ancient Near East. Gosh, I mean, China, we don't live in a communist country like the Soviet Union or China. This kind of thing doesn't happen in America. Well, I mean, that's not a terrible line of thinking, really. But I would submit that what is often identified as patriotism is actually worship. See, remember last week. Remember last week how we talked about politics uh, in, in, a, in a secular age, secular means that you're trying to, 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 you're trying to uh, remove all instance of religion from your society. You're trying to keep it separate from the state. And when you do that, you still have the major questions of life to answer. You still got to ask the question, where did I come from? What's my purpose and where am I going? Well, politics enters in the equation. It can answer all those questions for you. And because it can, people begin to bow down to that. Instead of God. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they couldn't do it. They resisted. They protested. They were easily, <laughs> they were easily spotted 
Everybody else is bowing down, and it's just these three dudes standing next to each other who won't bow down. And this gets them an audience with an enraged king. And the enraged king asked them, why didn't you bow down? And they said, verses 16 to 18, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Doesn't that sound brave? But how do you square Romans 13 with Daniel 3? Are Bonhoeffer and Daniel and John the Baptist and Peter and John and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, are they all disobeying Romans 13's command to submit to the government authorities? Well, here's what we've got to do. We've got to realize that Romans 13 is just one side of the coin. That side of the coin says that God has established a hierarchy of leadership with governments. And we are to submit to them. And that submission is more than just a grudging outward recognition of the government's authority. We're also to give them honor and respect. That's what Romans 13 calls for. But if you take Romans 13 to be the full-blown biblical treatise on what our relationship is supposed to be like with the state, that would be a mistake. Because if you did take Romans 13 to be the full treatise, then you would uncritically comply with the state no matter what it demanded. And so there are times when we cannot obey our governing authorities, that we've got to take up the posture of resistance and protest, just like the ones that we've seen in, this, in these passages. So here's the question for me and for you tonight. How do you know which posture to take? How do you know whether you should take the one of respect and honor? It's called in Romans 13. Or, how, or, or, or when you should take the one of protest and resistance. It's called in Daniel 3. Well, I think that your answer, it all comes down to you. It all comes down to which one is more costly for you. For instance, if you find it really easy to get on board with the new administration, if you have some blue hues about you, if you lean left, you might have to do the really hard work of disentangling your heart from the Democratic Party. See, for you, Romans 13 is good news. It's going to be really easy. But protesting is going to seem silly. But you need to understand that the left nor the right have the corner on the kingdom of God. Yes, you're right. We've got to submit. We've got to show honor. We've got to show respect. But we also have to be critical of our politics, lest we merge them with Jesus, and Jesus doesn't get the allegiance that he alone is due. Where it becomes costly is that when you go against your party's position on one point, you do risk. You risk rejection. You risk being misunderstood. All because you didn't swallow your party's policies whole. And it could leave you on the outside looking in. And if that's where you are, 
how in the world are you going to drum up the energy and the wisdom to be critical of your party? Or maybe you see this new administration and all you can do is roll your eyes in disgust. Protest and resistance is going to come easy for you. But you've got to consider Romans 13. These are the leaders that are due our respect and honor. And for some strange reason, at least in your own view, God has placed them in these positions of power and authority. Maybe to you, submission seems not just costly. It probably sounds impossible. So how are you? Others of of us, we've got to drum up some courage and wisdom to be critical of our own party. But others of us, how are you going to drum up the ability to submit? How are you going to drum up respect and honor? I don't know about you, but I'm feeling the heat that the Bible lays on us right here. Aren't you? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they felt the heat. They felt it because they protested. That heat was meant to kill them. But they ended up getting saved. Jesus, on the other hand, he took a very different approach. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they protested. Jesus, on the other hand, look how he, helped with, how he dealt with Roman authorities. Well, he acknowledged Pilate's rule in John 19, 11, like we read earlier. Jesus stood before the authorities in trial after trial, and he opened not his mouth. Jesus, after Peter protested and chopped the soldier's ear off, Jesus picked it up and put it back on. Jesus has said that he could have called down 10,000 angels to overthrow the governing authorities, but he didn't. And all because he didn't is the reason that he died. So how do you square those? Is the reason Jesus died because he wouldn't stand up and protest like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I'm afraid not. But why would these three sinners, heroic as they are, how were they saved? Yet Jesus, God's only beloved son, why did he die? It seems like it'd be the other way around. What's the deal? What's the cross? The cross confounds our own wisdom. It confounds our logic. See, what Jesus was doing on the cross is that he was taking in the fiery pains that you and I deserve for our lack of protest, our lack of willingness to be critical of our political party. Jesus was bearing those fiery pains. Jesus was bearing the fiery pains that we deserve because we would not give honor. We would not respect those that God had put over us. And all because Jesus took on those, that fiery punishment, the judgment that we rightly deserve, that's the only reason that we, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Abednego can end up on the other side, how we can emerge unburned, how we can enjoy life on the other side. And that's part of the reason Jesus died, because we don't know how to do politics. And who do you want to submit to? Someone who died for you because he is overjoyed with you? 
or because someone offers power in the temporal state. See, Jesus died for you, not just so you can go to heaven. <laughs> Jesus died so that we can all do politics very differently than we have up to this point. So will you let Jesus move you from the spot you find yourself on, on the spectrum? Let's pray. Oh, Father, you do love us far more than any political leader we've ever come across. Uh, and really, maybe we've just not been all that inspired by your upside-down way of doing life. But Lord, I pray that we would see in the confounding wisdom of, of heaven, that's where we find true life. So would you free us? Uh, would you free us from our illusion of power? We pray these things in your name. Amen. On your way in, you uh, received...